0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Fort St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message Our Adoption. All right, well, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then I know something about you. I know that God has done some amazing things in your life, and you have a whole A whole lot of things to be thankful for. As we've been making our way through Romans, we have seen, as we've gone chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we have seen what God has done, and quite frankly, it's been pretty amazing. Let me just give you a snapshot of some of the things that God has done that Paul has already written about in Romans. If you notice on the screen, we found out in chapter 5, verse 1, that we have been justified by faith justified it means to be declared righteous and that happened by faith and so whenever it was when you placed your faith in Christ whenever it was that you wholeheartedly genuinely authentically came to Christ in faith trusting in him and what he did on the cross for the full payment of your sins whenever that was that you confessed Jesus as your Lord, okay, what happened was that God made a confession over you. I don't know if you knew this or not, but when you placed your faith in Christ, God's confession over you was, I declare you righteous. And he clothed you with the perfect robe of Christ's righteousness. He didn't clothe you with your righteousness. He didn't clothe me with my righteousness because all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. No, he clothed us with Christ's perfect white robe of righteousness, he declared us righteous, and by the way, that's not just uh, for a little while, that is absolutely forever. And so then we, look, we got to chapter six, and we found out that we've been spiritually united with Christ. And so uh, what happened was that whenever, again, you placed your faith in Christ, if this is you, do you remember this? And this is Jesus Christ, while well, the Holy Spirit took your spirit and immersed you, united you, made you one with the spirit of Jesus Christ, so that when Christ died, you died. When Christ was buried, you were buried. And when Christ rose again, you rose again. You see, that was illustrated later through water baptism, but it, it had already taken place in your heart by the work of the Holy Spirit. Not only has he justified us by faith, not only has he made us one with Jesus Christ, but chapter seven, verse 22, Paul talked about the inward man or the inward woman. And so that speaks of the new nature. And so once again, when you, when you think about what has God done When you placed your faith in Christ, and by the way, did you realize so so many things happened to you when you placed your faith in Christ? When you placed your faith in Christ, okay, you were walking your own way, doing your own thing, and you were dead. Everybody say dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But then what God did is that he so loved you, his spirit came and began to woo you and draw you and began to do a prior work in your heart. And at that moment that you put your faith in Christ, the spirit of God quickened or made alive your spirit. He gave you a new nature. And so now you are not just a carnal person with an old nature that you received from Adam. No, you're so much more than that. Now you are a new man, a new woman with a new nature that has been given to you by Jesus Christ, a nature that actually wants to serve God. Anybody in the house want to serve God? Okay, you know why you want to, you know why you want to serve God? It's because he's given you a new nature. Not only that, it gets better in chapter eight, verse nine, he talked about how we are now indwelt by his spirit. So once again, when we place our faith in Christ, the third person of the Trinity, God of very gods, came inside to live inside of us as a permanent resident. He's not going anywhere. He's forever within you. And so the Holy Spirit's become our comforter, our guide, our enabler, our revealer, and so many other things. So not only has he justified us by faith, spiritually united us with Christ, given us a brand new nature and indwelt us by his spirit. But in the future, because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's gonna give you a new body. Now, think about this. He's already made you alive in your heart and your spirit, but your outward man, your outward woman is decaying every single day. It's aging. But the good news is, remember, remember from two weeks ago? One day... The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Everybody say caught up, caught up. right? Rapturo in the Latin Vulgate, from where we get our English word rapture. So we who are alive and remain will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we always be with the Lord. And so one day God's coming back. Jesus is coming back, okay? And by the way, quick side note. Did you know that if you die before the rapture, you still will not miss the rapture? Did you know if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we're all going to take place in the rapture. Even if we were to die before it happens. You say, what do you mean? Did you hear what I said earlier from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17? The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. You say, how does that all work? Here's how it works. At some point when we take our last breath, our body goes six feet under, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Your body goes six feet under, but your spirit immediately goes to be with God. And when Jesus comes back, you will be coming back with him. As Jesus descends, your spirit will descend with him. It will reunite with your ashes or your dust or your body or whatever, and then on your way up, you will receive a new immortal body. My hope is that the rapture happens in our lifetime so that when we're driving down the road or flying in a plane or out on the intercoastal fishing or whatever, we will be immediately caught up And so listen, all of this is gonna happen in the twinkling of an eye, and we're gonna receive brand new bodies that can never die. Now, I'm glad one person said amen. I thought the whole church would be saying amen at that. Are you guys excited about the fact that Jesus is coming back? I mean, good night. so exciting to think about. So, justified by faith spiritually united with Christ. This is who you are. This is what you gotta know as a believer, right? The next time you're going through a difficult time, a hard time, bring these notes back up. Remind yourself who you are. You're a child of the king. You've been justified by faith, united with Christ. You've received a new nature. You're indwelt by the spirit. You're gonna get a new body. And if that's not enough for you, God said, hey, guess what? I have adopted you into my forever family. We're gonna take a sneak peek at verse 15, check it out. He says in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of, what's the word? Adoption. Adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Here's your first point if you're taking notes. Adopted kids should put to death their sinful behavior. You say, where do you get that from? We're gonna read about it in verses 12 through 13 now. Okay, so here's here's our portion of scripture today, verses 12 through 17. We're gonna go verse by verse. Okay, look at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, you may wanna underline those three words, put to death the deeds, the idea there is the sinful deeds, the deeds of the body, you will live. And so that's where I get this truth that adopted kids should put to death sinful behavior. Now let's go back to verse 12. And notice the first word, the first word in verse 12. If you have the New King James Version, uh, go ahead and shout it out. Therefore. Therefore. Okay, you've heard me say this before. Whenever you see the word therefore, you gotta find out what it's there for, okay? And so the word therefore, what does it do? It joins or ties in the previous thoughts in the previous verses with the new thoughts in the new verses, okay? We got to interpret every verse In its context, okay? And so what's the context? Go back a couple verses to verse 10, okay? And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. The spirit has come in. Even though our body is decaying, it's gonna die. Our spirits are made new. There's a part of you that's never gonna die. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also, not just your spirit, but will also give life to your, what's the next two words? Mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So the idea here, the previous thought in the previous verses is because the spirit has made us, the Holy Spirit has made us alive spiritually, because he dwells in us and because he's gonna give us new bodies someday, therefore, brethren, verse 12, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Listen, you don't owe the flesh anything. The only thing the flesh has ever done for you is giving you heartache and misery and pain. And by the way, not just for you, but for your loved ones around you. We're not debtors to the flesh to live for the flesh. No, verse 13, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you're gonna die. But if by the spirit you, here it is again, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so the idea here is because of the amazing things that God has done for us, we are debtors. We are obligated. To put to death our sinful behavior. Now, some of you right now are thinking, but Pastor Mike, I've been trying. I really have. I've been giving this my best. I've been trying uh, to, to put to death my sinful behavior, but it's not working out too well. Well, let me just, as kind as I can, tell you why it's not working out very well. It's not working out very well because you're trying to put to death your sinful behavior in your own strength. You're making the same mistake that Paul wrote about in the second half of chapter seven. Remember what Paul said? He said, the good that I wanna do, I do not do, but the sin that I, or the evil that I don't wanna do, that I practice. You know, oh, wretched man that I am. And so it was this, this horrible cycle in Paul's life as he's um, trying to overcome his sin nature in his strength what happens? He sins, he falls, just like we all do. Shame, guilt, right? And so, man, I got to try harder. He tries harder. Maybe that works for three days. Sins, falls, shame, guilt. I got to try harder. It's just a vicious cycle. And so let's see if we can discover in chapter 8, verse 13, the key to the victorious Christian life. Okay, look at verse 13. Let's see if we can find it. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit, and there it is right there, those three words, by the Spirit, there's the key to the victorious Christian life. The Holy Spirit, the theme of chapter eight, is right there, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds, the sinful deeds of the body, you Uh, will live. And so the key to the victorious Christian life, ladies and gentlemen, I really want to help you today. It's not trying harder in your own strength. It's leaning harder on the Spirit's strength. It's leaning on Him. It's trusting in Him. It's understanding that He lives in you. Yes, we can rejoice and thank God that He's given us the key to the victorious Christian life right in your own bosom, right in your own heart. You don't have to keep doing this cycle of sin, shame, guilt, try harder. Sin, shame, guilt, try harder. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live according to your flesh. You have the spirit of God inside of you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. But as long as you keep trying in your flesh, you'll keep falling. And so the idea here is as we hang out with the Lord, it is word. In prayer, right? It's always the same thing every week, isn't it? As we hang out with the Lord in the word and prayer, what does he do? He gives us a supernatural power to overcome our sin nature, and check this out: he gives us a supernatural power in life to bear fruit. It's not, it's not just about stop sinning, it's about bearing fruit. Listen to John 15:5. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him shall bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Did you hear that? Without me, you can do nothing. Now, I have a question for you. It's okay to answer out loud because I really don't think anyone's gonna get this wrong. Okay? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. I want you to think of a fruit tree right now in your mind. Okay, does life and nourishment... Flow from the vine to the branch or from the branch to the vine? Help me out. Go ahead and answer out loud. From the vine to the branch. Life and nourishment does not flow from the branch to the vine. It flows from the vine to the branch. And the result is that that branch bears fruit. Check it out. Jesus said, I am the vine. You're just a branch. Pastor Mike, I'm, I'm just a branch. You're just a branch. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. So what's the key? The key is to abide in Christ. The key is to hang out like a branch with the Lord. Hang out with him in his word. Hang out with him in prayer. And as he does that, spiritual life and power and nourishment goes into us. And not only do we have power to overcome our sin nature, we also begin to bear fruit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Does this make sense to you guys? Man, I want a church filled with people that are fruit bearers. But there's so much more. Look at verse 14. He says, for as many as are, what's the word? Okay, please underline that word if you don't mind marking your Bible. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God These are the sons of God. Here's your next point. Adopted kids should be submissive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Adopted kids, if you've put your faith in Christ, you're adopted. Well, you and I need to be submissive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. What is the primary way that God leads his kids? It's not dreams. It's not visions. Right? It's not voices. It's not circumstances or people or counsel. Okay? All those things, God may or may not lead through those things. But the primary way that God leads his children is through his word. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the voice of the Father right here. We've had it for 2,000 years as, 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 as the church. We've had it since the day of Pentecost. And so, man, the primary way God leads his kids is through his word. When I was a kid growing up, I listened to the voice of my dad. Well, to be honest, most of the time I listened to the voice of my dad. And here's why. Because I knew that man loved me. I knew he cared about me. I knew that he worked hard to provide for me. I mean, he was in the military for 22 years, and then later he was at Moss Brothers Burdines for another like 20 years, and then after that, I think it was 15 years at the Tampa Yacht Club. The man almost worked his entire life to take care of his wife and to take care of his kids when we were in the home. And so I knew that he cared for me. I knew that he worked hard to provide for me, and I knew that in his heart, he had my best interests in mind. And so as a kid growing up, when I needed advice, I didn't go down the street to some strange dad, to some other guy's dad who I didn't know for advice. Why would I do that? I don't even know if that guy can be trusted. When I was a kid growing up, I went to my dad for advice because I knew that my dad could be trusted. Here's my point. I'll put it in a form of a question. Are you going to the wrong people for advice? Are you listening to the wrong voices? Ladies and gentlemen, our Father who art in heaven can be trusted. His word can absolutely be trusted. And so here's where we're gonna go to Psalm 1. If you wanna turn to it and follow along, I'm just gonna quote it to you. Okay, so Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Okay? So, so listen to it again. Blessed or happy is the man or woman who walks not, everybody say not, not. in the counsel of the ungodly. Okay? The word of God is very clear that you and I should not be going to people who don't know the Lord for advice about our lives. And so why in the world are you going to family members and friends who don't know the Lord for advice about your life? They don't know the Lord. They have no spiritual life within them. And why in the world are some of you going to a secular counselor who doesn't even have a biblical worldview? Last week, I wasn't here, uh, but I I know Norman Yeager took a little bit of time uh, to talk to you about the difference between secular counseling and Christian counseling. I think that's an important distinction to make. You wanna be getting advice. I wanna be getting advice from people who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them and who know the word of God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You say, well, what should I do? Well, you should go to a Christian counselor. You should go to a pastor or an elder or a family or a member or friend who, again, spirit of God lives inside and has a working knowledge of the word of God so they steer you right. You know, some of you guys are having marriage problems and you're getting your advice from Facebook on how to fix your marriage. And a lot of the advice isn't fix it, it's dump him or dump her. It's ungodly advice. You say, what should I do? Go to a Christian counselor. But what else? This is even better. It's found in verse two, right? And so blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates, everybody say meditate, meditate. day and night. And so what should I do? You should meditate in the word of God day and night. Now, it doesn't say, you know, sit for one minute with the daily bread on the commode. I'm just calling some of you out because I know that's what you do. And that is, that, that is the extent of your scripture intake. In the morning, on the commode, daily bread, I read it for a minute, I'm done with God's word. It's not what it says. Meditate in his law day and night. So what does that look like? What that looks like, it could look like, some, it varies, right? It could look like something like this, that if you're a morning person, you're in the word in the morning, right? If you're a night person, you're in the word at night. We've talked about all that. So let's say you're a morning person, you're in the word, you read through a chapter slowly, you absorb it, and then if a verse jumps off the page, you get a three-by-five card and you write that verse out on the three-by-five card and then you take it and you put it in your back pocket. Later on at lunchtime, you pull that, that, that uh, three-by-five card out and you read it again. You see, the word meditate means to muse or to mutter. Muse, think about it in your mind. Mutter literally means to mutter it under your breath. A beautiful illustration, which I gave like three or four years ago, is it's, it's like a cow chewing its cud. You ever heard of this? And so you have a cow out in the field. What does he do? He chews the grass. He swallows it. And then what does he do later? I'm so sorry if some of you have already eaten. <laughs> but literally, he throws up in his mouth. He regurg—I heard it. He regurgitates it back up. And then later on in the day, he chews on that thing some more. And then he swallows it, and then guess what? Later on, back up, and he chews on it some more. That's what the word in Psalm chapter one, one through three, that's what the word meditate means. And so you pull that three-by-five card out later. You bring it back up. You spiritually throw up in your mouth. (laughs) And you read God's truth again. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, not only do I want us to have a church, that is filled with fruit bearers, I wanna have a church that I'm leading, that I'm pastoring and loving and serving of people that have a biblical worldview that when the whole culture's going left, we're standing strong on the truth, right? But you gotta bring it back up. Now, for some of you who are younger and techies, then just at lunch break, bring the passage back up on your mobile device or your phone and read it again. Bring it back up. Maybe it's the podcast. You heard the message on Sunday morning. Uh, Brian, our tech director, has it uh, on, online, I think Sunday evening, uh, Monday morning. And so download the podcast. Listen to it again. It, what are you doing? You, you're, you're meditating on God's word. You're not just reading the daily bread for one minute and that's it. You're meditating on it. Right now in my smartphone, I have a note page. And a few days ago, I was in Ezekiel 27, and I saw Tyre, T-Y-R-E, the city of Tyre, and it's fall. And I was reading about their vanity and their pride and their self-sufficiency and their materialistic uh, mindset. By the way, that's America right there. And guess what happened to Tyre? They were destroyed. God finally had it up to here with them. Okay, I, I, I'm so sad when people think that we're so great in America that, that we can never become a third world country. Are you kidding me? Just uh, let, let our country keep doing what it's doing. You see what happens if the Lord tarries. But I'm so getting off script, okay? And so, uh, and so I'm reading um, these verses and, and, and so I wrote them down in my note page on my phone so later on I can say, you know, think about this. Lord, you know, I don't want to be vain, I don't want to always be thinking about myself. And and Lord, I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to be comparing myself to other people and thinking that I'm better. And I don't want to be materialistic. You know, I want to be content with the things that I have. And not only that, I don't want to be self-sufficient. I want to be, what am I doing? I'm, I'm bringing it back up, chewing on it, meditating upon it. And so what's the result when we do this? The result is in verse three in Psalm chapter one. Okay? And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bears its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Here it is, sports fans. And whatever he does shall prosper. Yes, yes. You know, somebody wants to prosper back here. Does anybody else wanna prosper in life? Right? Okay, So, so... So what's the key? Nobody would ever thought, thought of this in a million years. We, somebody needs to write a book. The key is meditate on the word of God. And the promise is you're gonna prosper. Not that you're gonna be materialistic and God's gonna meet all your greeds. No, you're gonna be content and God's gonna meet all of your needs, but you're gonna prosper in the way God says um, is, is, is uh, God's definition of prosperity, And so, man, meditate on God's word, but there's so much more. You gotta keep going. Look at verse 15 of Romans chapter eight. So adopted kids um, put to death the sinful behavior. Adopted kids are led by the spirit of God, but look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out. Everybody cry out the last two words there. Abba, Father, I love it. And so in ancient Roman culture, adoption was customary. It happened all the time. Here's what it looked like. You have a wealthy man. He has no biological sons. And so what, what, what he would do is that he would go outside of the family and he would choose someone else to be the heir of his estate, the heir of his inheritance. In Roman culture, it could be a child, it could be a teenager, it could be an adult. Whoever the father chose to bless, he could bless. Of course, that person had to say yes. Now, it was always uh, done before the court. It was legalized. And then at the moment of adoption, this is so cool how this ties into our relationship with God. Check this out. At the moment of adoption, that heir... That adopted son received a new name. Not only that, but that heir, that adopted son, immediately inherited his father's estate. And not only that, but if that heir, that adopted son, had any debt, it was immediately paid for in full. Does this sound familiar? Right? You can go back, Google it, study adoption in Roman culture. You'll see what I'm saying is absolutely true. And God does the same thing with us. When we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord, he adopts us. Whether you're a child or a teenager or an adult, hey, when you come to Christ, you're adopted. And what happens um, when you come to Christ, Revelation 2.17, he gives you a new name. Did you guys know this? That you have, God has another name for you. He calls you by a different name. Someday he's gonna tell you what that name is. Not only that, any of your your sin debt when you come to Christ, totally paid for in full. Right? Listen. Don't make the the mistake of of, of some in the church, not just your past sins. You know, my past sins are all forgiven. Now I gotta hustle and work really hard and earn my way to heaven. That's heresy. All your sin, past Present, future, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus hung on the cross, He said to tell us, paid in full." He didn't cry out, "Partially paid." <laughs> now work really hard and make me proud. No, <laughs> paid in full. And not only that, when you when you put your faith in Christ, you inherited exactly what Jesus is going to inherit as your big brother, and we'll talk about that a little later. So. Look at verse 15 before we move on. He says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I've gotta talk about this before we move on. Here's your next point. Adopted kids should never fear because God has chosen to be their daddy. I love this portion of scripture. I love Romans 8. And so God has chosen to be your daddy. That word Abba has roots. The root word has um, its origin in the Aramaic language. It literally, a modern day equivalent, it means papa or daddy. Papa or daddy. And so Abba, Abba. I remember when I was in Israel the last time and we were at a park so if you go with us to Israel next March, the first half of the trip, we're up north in the Galilee um, area. The second half, we're down south in the Jerusalem area. But halfway through, we stop at this beautiful park. It's called Saknin. And we, we we stay there, and we just relax for half a day. We get refilled and regenerized. And so we were at this park just uh, hanging out, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, um, In fact, I swam with Phil in that water at at Sakeen, and we enjoyed a waterfall falling down on our head. But uh, later in the day, I heard this little boy saying to his father, Abba, Abba, Abba. This kid must have said it 50 times. Abba, 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 right? And what I noticed is that the father was completely ignoring his son because he was having a conversation with some other guy. Here's what you need to know when you go to Abba, Father, he doesn't ignore you. You have his full attention when you call out his name because he loves you. He's your daddy. And so Abba is an informal way to call upon God. God does not want a formal relationship with you. He wants an intimate relationship with you. Have you ever heard guys uh, pray formal, dry prayers I've never heard that in this church, thank God, but in previous churches um, many years ago, I used to hear uh, during the the prayer service, some of these guys would stand up, right? And then what they would do is that they would change their voice. I never could figure that out when I was younger. But you know, they talk in one tone, but then when they go to God, they lower their tone at least a couple octaves, right? And it's like, um, creator of all things. In thine sovereignty, thou ruleth over alleth, right? You know, uh, bestow upon, uh, bequeath upon your servants an unction from on high. And I'm thinking, what is? Translator, please. You know, I mean, can you imagine if your kids talk to you like that, sitting at the dinner table, Father, please passeth the potatoes, right? <laughs> what are we doing? God does not want to relate to us in a formal way. He wants to relate to us in an intimate way. He wants you to call him daddy. Now, some people think that's sacrilegious. They've never read Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He's your papa. He's your daddy. But you know what the problem is? Some of you were raised in a home where you had a terrible relationship with your dad. And so everything I'm saying right now is like... Charlie Brown at school, and the teacher's just going, wah, 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 wah. Because your dad didn't treat you right. My prayer is that the Spirit of God, man, just changes your heart, and you can have an experiential relationship with God as your daddy. And he'll bring you to tears. Because he loves you. He's adopted you. He's your dad. Some people view God in complex theological terms. Other people sadly view God in legalistic ways. You know, they, they think of God, God help our souls. They think of God with his arms crossed and a frown on his face, scowling at us, just waiting for us to mess up so he can scold us or, or punish us. That's not God. I had a friend in Bible college. I'm going all the way back to 1988 or so, okay? So if I remember... And I know this is cheesy, but I was part of a group because we were called into the ministry, and so they called us the Preacher Boys. <laughs> anyway, um, so we were in this we were in this group called the Preacher Boys, and this 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 young man who was a friend of mine admitted to the rest of us um, that he had messed up in a certain area of his life. And he said he told us, "I got so mad at myself, I started banging my head against the wall." And he said. And I heard God say, keep banging your head. (laughs) And I'm thinking, this guy's going to be a pastor, and he's going to give that to his congregation? (laughs) That's not the voice of God. That's the voice of your messed up view of God. Listen, God's your Abba Father. He loves you even when you sin. Does he approve of your sin? No, that's not what I'm talking about here. But he still loves you. And like I've said a million times, he doesn't kick you while you're down. That's the devil. He lifts you up. Come on, son. Come on, daughter. Wipes you off. Let's do this. That's our daddy. But there's still more. Look at verse 16. I told you this was a rich part of the Bible. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. Have you guys ever felt the spirit move in your heart? Only one person? Okay, listen. Have you ever felt the spirit move in your heart? All right. What is that? It's right there in verse 16. It's the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you have been adopted, that you're a child of God. And what blessed assurance when that happens? That's your next point if you're taking notes. Adopted kids have blessed assurance when the Spirit moves in their hearts. Now, I understand that the primary way God gives us blessed assurance of our salvation is the promises of his word. I believe that with all my heart. That's the primary way. But another way he gives us assurance is the moving of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And when he does that in my heart, any fear, any doubt, any worry, any anxiety that I'm having, listen, it just fades away. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. After my dad passed away back in 2013, he passed away in February of 2013, my mom struggled. She missed him terribly. She still misses him to this day. And rightfully so. She was married to my dad for 59 years. And, and the home that I grew up in, they obviously loved one another. And by the way, they didn't just love each other with word words. They loved each other physically, affectionately. I always saw them in the kitchen, either dancing or hugging or kissing. And by the way, moms and dads show that affection for one another in front of your kids. It just, it causes there to be a bond in the family. But my mom struggled like crazy. And And so she missed my dad so much. But if you ask my mom, and she's a believer in Jesus Christ, she's trusting Christ alone for her salvation. But if you ask her um, about how did she deal with this, she'll let you know about something special that God did for her. She told me this on the phone, that sometime after my dad's passing, the spirit of God gave her incredible peace in her heart. What did the Holy Spirit do? He gave her great comfort in the middle of her great grief. Does she still miss dad? Yes, absolutely. But the Spirit of God witnessed to her spirit that she's a child of God and hey, Mary, I have this. He's with me, I love you, right? That's what the Spirit does for his kids. But if you have rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, You have no idea what I'm talking about. And so when you go through difficult times, wow, how do you do that? You need the Lord. And so some of you are going through a difficult time right now. Allow the Spirit to minister to your heart. You say, he never does that for me. Could it be that you're too busy? Could it be that you're always getting up a little bit late and running out the door with your coffee and driving down 95, rushing to work and you never spent time with the Lord? You see, it's in those quiet places. It's in the time of extended prayer, right? Go out to a park somewhere. Go out to the beach, walk under the stars. Go out to a field, lay down a blanket, lay down on the blanket and just look up at the sky. And here's what, as you're praying, an extended prayer. Listen, it's not just little fast you know, uh, prayers down 95 as we go to work. It's, it's when you get into God's presence, his spirit will minister to your spirit that you are a child of God and he's got everything taken care of. Last verse, verse 17. And if children, then, what's the word? Heirs. Heirs. Heirs of God. Did you know you're gonna inherit God? <laughs> Man, that's crazy. Heirs of God, what does that mean? And joint heirs with Christ. Christ is your big brother. Everything Christ is gonna inherit, you're gonna inherit. If indeed we, what's the word? You say, oh man, does that have to be in there? Man, the sermon was so good up to this point, right? If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Listen, don't let that throw you off. And by the way, here's your last point. Adopted kids can look forward to a bright future. That's an inheritance. But but don't let the suffering throw you off because, hey, it's just part of being in the family of God. Listen to me. As this culture of ours continues to move left and we continue to have a biblical worldview and we take a stand on the truth in love, we're gonna suffer Ladies and gentlemen, I'm I'm speaking to you probably prophetically right now. Are you ready to suffer? When the president of the United States sends down a policy memo to our public schools telling our public school leaders that any guy who thinks he's a girl can walk into the girl's bathroom. Let me tell you something, all right? I respect the president. Um, the office of the President, and I respect him as a person made in God's image, but I have no respect for his policies that directly contradict God's word. Not at all. Not at all And so let me tell you something. We can't just like be bashful and never say anything. We have to not be a jerk and get in people's face and, and, and you know, you're going to help. no. We love them, we care for them, but we absolutely speak out. The more we do that, let me tell you something, suffering is coming. But the good news is after the suffering comes, the inheritance will come as well. And everything Jesus inherits, we're gonna inherit. We have such a bright future ahead. I'm gonna close with this. Imagine if you got a call tomorrow from a, attorney, and the attorney said to you, "Um, listen, I don't even know if you know this, but you have a relative who passed away, and that relative, before he passed away, came into some great wealth, and so I'm here to tell you, as his attorney, that he left you $1 million. If you got that call tomorrow, how would you react? Yeah. Let me tell you something. If you're a Baptist, you'd become Pentecostal really fast. <laughs> I mean, you start shouting. You start singing. You start jumping up. and You don't care what people think about you. You're going to start jumping up and down. You're going to say, thank you, God. You're not going to tell the neighbors because you don't want them asking for money, right? But you're going to be so happy. Listen. A million dollars doesn't scratch the surface of what God has done and what God will do for those of us who love him, right? So ladies and gentlemen, now listen, I understand personality types. I understand some of you are very reserved. I'm an introvert. But let me tell you something. When, when, when you understand from the letter of Paul to the Romans everything that God has done for us and the inheritance that waits before us, it's okay to get a little excited, It's okay to clap your hands. It's okay to not come to worship after three songs have already been sung. Coming in late. Standing there with your hands in your pocket as if Aaron and the worship team are putting on a performance. What are we doing? Jesus gave his all for us. Why are we casual Christians? Why are hey, you're not late on Monday because you know you might lose your job. But Sunday you'll come in on the third song because God who cares about God? What? Set your alarm a little bit early. It's the 12:30 service. Good night. Check your kids in early. Come in before the first note of the first song. Maybe even jump up a little bit if you got that inside of you. At least raise your hand, and as you're praising the Lord, when the Holy Spirit hits you, two hands are going up, I guarantee it, and you're going to worship the Lord in spirit and truth, and his spirit's going to witness with your spirit that you're a child of God and that you're adopted, and he's your daddy, and he's going to take care of you, and you're going to rejoice all the way to your last breath. One of the greatest gifts God can give His children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.